Yes, thank you so very much, Destiny family. It warms my heart just to hear my daughter speaking of how much she loves her church home. And uh, not all pastor's kids would necessarily feel that way, but I just want to thank you. We have such a loving, wonderful church family because we have such a loving, wonderful Savior. He's a good, good God. Um, you know, a lot of focus on this, the next generation for us this morning. Obviously, this is a season where we're bringing a lot of that focus. And uh, I have a few pictures that I want to pop up and see if you can figure out who this person is. Remember, people in the nursery today are tomorrow's leaders. And the people who were in the nurseries yesterday are today's leaders. So who was this person that was in the nursery of yesteryear? Who do you think it is? All right, next picture. Somebody's going to figure it out. Next one. Oh, uh, this is, uh, we heard from James a while ago on our worship pastors. This is Chrissy, our other worship pastor on our team. And uh, just thank God. Come on, there's destiny in the hearts and lives. So we take very responsibly our commission from God to raise up the next generation, to care for the kids, the children. So thank you to all of you who help on so many levels of kids' ministry, children's ministry, educational ministry, everything that everybody is doing to reach into the next generation, I believe, is vitally important for us to understand. The corporate world gets this. The church world needs to get it even more. And uh, with that, I want to celebrate and just say congrats to Destiny Christian School, who Five years in a row, last night we won the state championship in football, so really so excited. It's just a good thing that I work with those boys the way I do. <laughs> we have an incredible team, incredible staff, and I just want to honor Jim and Diana Howard and tell you how much we love and appreciate you, and this past week we actually... I had a stellar conclusion of our accreditation site visit, and that's because of your leadership that we've been able to do that. So we love you so much. So uh, I'm excited to say, and I'm just giving you your action point right up front this month. Our action point, you'll see cards everywhere in the lobby. We don't believe in just gathering together to have motivational sermons. We want to be empowered to accomplish something. We don't want to just have inspiration if all we're doing is getting inspired, we're just becoming more religious, and I'm going to attack that today, but, uh, by the way. But if all we're doing is gathering to be inspired, we're missing the point. We should gather to become empowered to be the mighty, mobilized army of God. So you'll find cards in the lobby this month, particularly during the month of Thanksgiving. We want to invite everybody to love God, honor God, dignify others, and express love and appreciation by handing out thank you cards. So um, those cards are available to you. Find somebody that you can love and appreciate this week. And be specific. I've said this uh, last week as we introduced the idea. How many of you know it's true? Criticism tends to be more powerful than praise or appreciation because criticism is very specific. Appreciation tends to be very generic. So I want to ask you to appreciate very specifically. Increase the power of your appreciation when you write one of those cards. Tell somebody not just I appreciate you, but I appreciate what? I appreciate you because why, and describe that. And uh, let's just be a force this week in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your grocery store, in your restaurant. Just reach out and be a force of the love of God. And it really is an empowering thing for us to do. Um, with our next-gen focus, 
I'm, we're celebrating this month. Remember, this month, the month of November, we had somebody offer a $10,000 matching gift for our downstairs uh, nursery area. So we are all in for the next gen, and we're very excited about making progress. We are on schedule to have the upstairs in this facility finished by the time school starts, and the downstairs we're anticipating will be in there by this time next year. So uh, just thank you for your giving and your faithfulness as we continue to invest in the next generation. Um, one of the biggest challenges anybody would face when they step up to a platform like this is to feel the need to bring a sense of presentation. And I believe it's really important, particularly in the day that you and I live, that we really bypass religious presentation. We, we don't need religious presentation. What we need is true authenticity. So I'm going to ask, because I feel a, a sense of I want to make sure we're you know, staying on schedule, and, and I just want to address that and just ask you to stand with me. Let's just pause for a moment. Instead of giving in to that race, we're just going to attack that momentarily together. This is a, uh, a season of time in our world where we need to understand the exclusivity of the religious order uh, is something that God really wants to address. God is not exclusive, He's inclusive. We're going to address that and talk about that very openly today. But I want to just invite you in a perspective. I think this is really important. If you just hear me with your, you know, Jesus said you have ears here. Would you just listen beyond your ability to hear physically what I'm about to say? You know that you have successfully created God in your own image when it turns out he hates all the same people you do. God is an inclusive God. And in a time in our nation where there's great division, he is calling us as the body of Christ to rise above that. And that requires embrace, love, acceptance. It requires uh, an element beyond what we're capable of in and of our own hearts. I'm going to say the phrase again and then we'll pray. You know you've created God in your own image when it turns out he hates all the same people you do. And I just want to say, God's not just loving, God is love. So would you... Uh, would you just put your hand on your heart? Holy Spirit, we don't gather to fulfill our religious obligation of gathering as a church, but we are the church empowered by the Spirit of God. Teach us not to live lives that grieve you because of our religious order, and teach us not to live lives that grieve you because of our lack of self-control. I pray, Lord, that you would draw us into the mindset and perspective that honors God and dignifies others. Open your word to us that the eternal treasures of the nature of God, Lord, would be uh, imparted into our hearts, lives, and minds today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen. All right, why don't you be seated, pass down your books and take out your note cards. I'll walk you through this uh, today. We'll give you several ideas and thoughts that you'll fill in the blank. Those are great items to post on your social networking just to help foster and express uh, the message God wants to release to our generation, not just to us in this room, but to the people that we're in relationship beyond the room. And uh, what we've been doing is taking a look very uniquely for a long time. And I just felt the Lord tell me, you know, a year and a half ago, 
that we were to go through each and every book of the Bible and discover where Jesus is in every book. Jesus is in Genesis. Jesus is in Exodus. He's uniquely revealed in every single book of the Bible. We've now finished the entire Old Testament. All these messages are online. When you go back to study the book of Ezekiel and you want to know, or Obadiah, or you know, some book that you're not necessarily familiar with, then you can go and listen to a 30-40 minute message and hear the context, a little bit of history of that particular book, and when you read it, it will help enrich you as students of the Word. My goal is not to inspire you, my goal is to empower you. I want you to get something out of today, but I want you to be empowered to go live your life in a way that brings glory and honor to God as you. There's some places that we can all be preached into, some places that we can all be prayed into, but there's some places in our lives we only go there if we're willing to go there ourselves. So we need to discover what it is to have our devotion devotion life in order, fasting, praying, seeking God, really loving, serving, giving in every possible way to express the nature of God and embrace everything he wants. So here we are in the New Testament in the third gospel today. We've looked at Matthew, Mark, today is Luke, next week will be John. And what we've learned from the four gospels, very uniquely so, the four gospels are the expression of the four faces of God revealed in the book of Ezekiel, which we looked at when we looked at where Jesus was in the book of Ezekiel. So we see those four faces are the face of the lion, the face of the ox, the face of the man, and the face of the eagle. Interestingly enough, Matthew is a book written about Jesus to the Jews, telling them that the lion, everyone say lion, first face is revealed right there, the lion of the tribe of Judah has come, the eagerly awaited Messiah had shown up on the planet, and it was a message primarily to the Gentiles, that's why we find the lineage at the beginning of the book, because it was hugely important to the Gentiles. Then we've See the face of the ox revealed in the servant in the book of Mark. Jesus is revealed as a servant to all. He gets right to work in the very beginning of the book and then ascends uh, having concluded the work of the servant in the conclusion of the book. And we went through that last week. This week we're going to look at the Son of Man. How many of you been reading your Bible before and you notice Jesus is called the Son of Man and then other times he's called the Son of God and sometimes he's called the Son of Man and sometimes he's called the Son of God. How many of you know uh, like which one he is? And the answer to that, of course, is both. He's the son of man, that he became humanity, that he might identify with us. This is where the book of Luke is. And he is also the son of God, that he would draw us into a, a posture and a place, literally, of the deity that he's placed within us. We are to become God's sons and daughters. And that cannot happen unless we first identify with God through the Savior, the Son, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. The book of Luke is a beautiful text of Scripture that shows us the total focus of the Son of Man. And next week, we'll see the Son of God, the face of the eagle. So today, the face of the man. Uh, basically, Luke is so, like, it's my favorite gospel now that I've studied all this out and figured it out. And the reason is because I don't come from a stellar religious order of my past. Can anybody relate? Like, I don't have a stellar religious order. I didn't go through the process of being prepared to be a pastor. I didn't want to be a pastor. I kind of came kicking and screaming, requiring, you know, saying, no, let's not do this. My wife and I stood and accepted the call to be the pastor. She was crying, and everybody thought, look how happy she is. And she was actually crying. She was like, oh, God, what are you doing? It's like, you know, I mean, that's where we were. That, that's kind of our background. And so I, I don't tend to, I, just track me on this. I don't tend to identify well with really religious people. I just don't. I, I identify better with people that really aren't very religious. And what that means is many times in the church, I'm a bit of a rub. 
and, uh, and that's probably a little bit about your life or we wouldn't be in this thing together, right? Like there's not a real religious order about the heart of God. You need to understand that today. And we're going to see this very clearly revealed in the book of Luke. As Luke, get this, Luke is the only Gentile writer in the entire New Testament cast of Jewish authors of Scripture. He's, this is the only book written by a Gentile. Clearly, this, this man, as he was portraying Christ and revealing Christ, he was going to identify with an element of Jesus that most of his religious people around him wouldn't necessarily identify. This guy was happy to be drawn in and to be allowed to be a part of what God was doing in the earth. Like he, he wasn't just the assumed value of the religious order, and you've been given this religious legacy, and this is what you do. And so you're going to see something today as I point out a few things in, in the book of Luke that I think will help you understand this with real clarity, and may God give us wisdom to walk this out so that we'll stop being so doggone exclusive, holding people out, and just embrace everybody that he wants us to embrace. And I use the word doggone because I don't want to use something stronger right now. But how I many know God's really fed up with religion? Religion crucified Jesus. I mean, we have to understand this. We need to get this. Because there's a lot of confusion in the church. A lot of confusion in the church. And, and, and the, the fact is, the world has a real problem with the church in general. And, and mainly, it's because the church simply doesn't understand who the church is supposed to be. And when we start to figure that out, it liberates us from all this pressure and all this anguish. And we stop living such rigid presentation lives and we just relax. Listen, I want to say, relax and you will be revealed correctly. Relax, and you will be revealed correctly. And God will be in the middle changing us from the inside out rather than causing us to bring some form of false, fake presentation. So what we see, here's a Greek writer writing primarily to Greeks. Matthew was written to Jews. Uh, Mark was written to Romans. And, and Luke was written to Gentiles. And, and so here he is writing specifically to the Greeks. The Greeks were very famous for storytelling, so I found it very interesting to hear the, the most common phrase in the book of Luke, in, writing in the context of those that were famous for storytelling. The most common phrase in the book of Luke and it came to pass, or once upon a time, in a sense. And it came to pass. You'll hear that over and over again as you read it, because it's storytelling. The whole thing is about storytelling. Most movies of the life of Jesus rely primarily on Luke's gospel because of its story-like narrative. So it's not written from a Jewish angle of background of religious order. It's written from more of a Gentile angle of let's get the story out there and help people understand and identify. So here's your first blank if you write this in. Jesus came addressing the exclusive religious order of his day, moving the order from exclusion to inclusion. He moved the order from exclusion to inclusion. We've had people come and visit the church and talk to us about their journey of trying to find churches and none more striking because normally what we hear more than anything else what we hear is your church is so friendly I don't feel judged looked down upon and I just want to say thank you that is such a strength to to our church we have our, we have our weaknesses too but that is such a strength I had one guy tell me man you got a real friendly church I was in the, the men's room standing at the stall and somebody came up to the at the urinal somebody came up to the next urinal and just struck up a conversation that's a little way too friendly there so let me just tell you, curtail that a little bit, okay? 
It's the man rule. Just be cool. And so, I mean, we hear different feedback from different people coming. But one guy was really interesting because he said, man, we've been trying to find a church home. And we've been to multiple churches. And we have, for the first time here, not felt like we were attending a family reunion that we weren't a part of the family. I mean, it was a really striking conversation. Guys, Jesus wants us to help people feel loved and included, not excluded like, who are you? Why are you dressing like that? Why are you talking like that? I love the fact that we, I bring in a guest speaker driving in, trying to put the best foot forward, and there are people smoking cigarettes in the parking lot. They don't even know to go hide it. They're right there at the front door. I mean, in church, you're supposed to hide when you do that. I promise you everybody in this room's hiding something. There's just some things that, uh, you know, we, we feel like need to be hidden more than others. I'm just going to stir it up a little bit today. I, I just, I want us to realize there's great value in reaching people who don't know anything about Jesus or the church. They don't know how to express a presentation that, that we expect. I love that. Bring them on. Bring more. I mean, come on. We, we've got to shake it up a little bit. Stop just being so religious about what God's asking us to do. We were in a class one time, and we talked about, uh, you know, the devil and, and, and how he tried to destroy people's lives. And this guy, I want to testify. He hadn't been in church in his life. He had just come to know Christ. He stood up, man. He was dropping cuss words left and right, explaining how bad the devil was. That devil, he's so, blah, blah. No, I hate that devil. He blah. And we were just like, praise God. <laughs> Don't be offended. We're all on a journey just trying to find our way. We're all on a journey just trying to find our way. And people need to feel the sense of love and brace so that they can take steps forward in their journey. And over the course of time, all of us should become more like Jesus. So Jesus, the Son of God, is also Jesus, the Son of Man. Aren't you glad God didn't just like look over the edge of eternity and say, love you? Wish you the best. I mean, that's what we do in our Christianity, largely. It kind of takes a lot to get involved in people's lives. And I believe God really wants us to start to learn what it is to love, serve, and give sacrificially seven days a week, 24 hours a day. How do we devote ourselves to the purposes and the cause of God? So God didn't just look over the edge of eternity and say, love you, hope you hope it works out. He actually became one of us. He entered into humanity and suffered and died so that we could identify with him as man. I I read the story about uh, in Monterey, uh, there, it was called the Pelican's Paradise. All the fishermen there would catch all these fish, and as they cleaned the fish, they would throw all the leftovers to the pelicans. And the pelicans, you know, swarmed it, and it became very well known as the place to go to see all the pelicans, Pelican's Paradise, until one day entrepreneurialism kicked in. And they realized these leftovers of the fish actually could be used to turn a profit in other ways. And so they stopped feeding the pelicans. And pelicans had been so well fed uh, and not required to fish on their own for so long that they began to starve to death. They didn't know how to fish. And so the way they solved this was the fishermen came out and they said, Pelicans, this is how you fish. You got to go to the, get the fish. I'm not going to throw it. You got to go get your fish. And the pelican goes, ah, okay. I mean, that doesn't work. 
The pelican can't identify with the superiority of the human because the human, when the human tries to talk to the pelican, the pelican doesn't get it. And humanity that's fallen doesn't identify with the superiority of deity because when deity tries to talk to us, we just don't get it. Somehow there had to be a gap bridge. You know what they did to save those pelicans? They imported other pelicans from another part of the world that came and just fished in front. Pelicans that could identify with pelicans showed them the way and they were saved. They were rescued. I mean, you got to understand, Jesus, this is what Luke is all about. Like, thank God I don't have to be all religious. Like, Jesus came, the Son of Man, humanity. He identified with you. He identified with me. He showed us the way. I want to say to you, live your lives as Christ lived his life. Follow the example of Jesus. Walk in power. Walk in love. Walk in compassion. Walk in forgiveness. Walk in inclusion. Come on, somebody help me celebrate this end today. We just hit the enemy away. We break division and judgmentalism. We rise up in what God has called us to. We had a young lady that found out about our church, and they t- some people told her, yeah, the church is really loving, non-judgmental. And she actually came, some of you might have been, as in our other sanctuary, she came wearing shorts and, and, and really kind of inappropriate attire and no shoes, and, uh, and she just walked in and she sat on the front row. And so I looked down and greeted her and said, glad you're here. And after the service, I was going to talk to her a little bit more. You know, service was going on. And I went up and I said, uh, I said hey, I'm, I'm Lawrence. I'm the pastor of the church. What's your story? How'd you find out about us? I mean, I just wanted to know how she found us. And she said, I have friends that come to your church. And they told me how loving and non-judgmental you were. So I dressed like this just to come and see if you would look down on me. She said, I'm not interested in church. But you passed the test. Like, she wasn't trying to come to church. She just wanted to prove her friends wrong. And she found love, embrace, and acceptance in this place. Can I just say thank you, Destiny family? Come on. Now, what I'm talking is not normal stuff. And this is exactly why I love the book of Luke. Luke's writings show a side of Jesus that moves us beyond religious conventionalism. Let me just tell you that conventional religious wisdom can frustrate authentic pain. I'm going to say it again. Conventional religious wisdom can frustrate authentic pain. If you don't believe that, just read the book of Job and listen to his conventional religious friends and the nonsense they tried to tell him when he was going through authentic times of pain. So I want to address it today and look at it in a few portions of Scripture with the time we have. I want to go to Luke chapter 7, and here's Luke, the Gentile, pointing something out that is incredibly significant. Gentiles uh, will see something from a different angle than the Jews, and the Jews wouldn't point this out, but but Luke sure did. Luke chapter 7, verse 8 to 9, this is a Roman centurion, and he's talking to Jesus, and he says, hey Jesus, you just say it'll be done, and it'll be done. I I serve over, uh, you know, legions of men, and I understand authority, And then Jesus says in verse 9, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Jesus was amazed at him and turning to the crowd following, he said, say this with me, would you? I tell you, I have not found such great faith, where? Even in Israel. He marveled at this man's faith. Who was this man? He was a centurion. He's a Gentile. Interestingly, I found in Scripture one other place where Jesus marveled at someone's faith. 
And it kind of caught my attention. I began to evaluate these two perspectives. And this is the place uh, that where, you know, the story of the Canaanite woman, and she's talking to Jesus and asking about the blessing of God in her life. And she says, look, even the dogs under the table get crumbs. And Jesus responds, and he says, I'm marveling at your faith, a similar conversation. In the context of that, why would she say that? Because she was a Gentile. Canaanite woman was a Gentile, and Gentiles among Jews are considered dogs. And so she identified with the context of the conversation, and she said, look, even dogs get the table scraps, like she was addressing the table of the Lord. And Jesus then looked at her, and he said something very resembling, I'm astonished at your faith. It's remarkable to see your faith. So here we have two people, the only two people we find in the Bible where Jesus says you have amazing faith. Listen, listen. Two of the least religious people Jesus ever came across. The only thing these two people have in common is they had no awareness of the law. I'm going to tread into some tough area right now. But let's just point it out and see it clearly. Romans chapter 3 verse 20 says, Through the law, we become conscious of sin. Through the law, we become conscious of sin. These Gentiles... (laughs) had been exposed to Jesus more than they had been exposed to the law. You understand? They were exposed to the gracious forgiveness of God more than they were exposed to the greater awareness of their sin. And that led them to have greater faith than anybody else that we see in Scripture. Jesus marveled at their amazing faith. Let me just say, and this is your next blank, write it in. New levels of freedom await those who become more conscious of Jesus' love than they are of their sin. Boy, does the church need this. Lord, let us us, us just let this settle in. Speak to us whatever you want to speak to us, Lord. Perform surgery within us in whatever way you want to perform surgery. Help us to get it, that we just become a little more like Jesus as a result of our gathering today. In Jesus' name, amen. One more portion of Scripture out of the book of Luke for you. Luke chapter 7, verse 41 to 43, continuing in that particular chapter. The Bible says two men owed money, one 500 and the other 50. Neither had money to pay, so he canceled the debts of both. Which of them will love him more? Simon, the one who had, uh, Simon said, the one who had the bigger debt. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Now, let me just ask you a question with this story in mind. How many of you in this room, let's be honest, you feel like you just have no idea how bad I have been. Can God really forgive me? Like, big sin. Can I just see? Raise your hand. Like, I mean, you've been through some stuff, and you've made really bad decisions, okay? I mean, you know, that's a, that's a good number of folks in the room. And let me just say to you, according to this verse of Scripture, like, you're more qualified to love God even more. Isn't that crazy? Like, the very thing that we would use to disqualify us is the very thing God always wants to use to absolutely qualify us. So like if you get forgiven the bigger debt, then like you're going to have a better understanding of the grace of God. Now, let me tell you what it's not saying. 
let's all go sin really bad so we can love God really a lot, okay? That's not what it's saying. And I'm going to explain this to you because I actually had this conversation with somebody and they talked about my past and, man, you overdosed on drugs. I never overdosed on drugs. I guess you can love God more than I am. I grew up in church. Maybe I shouldn't raise my kids in church. I mean, really, where does all that land? We need to get some clarity on this. I don't want to just bring you messages that are just like, oh, okay, nice, sweet. I want to make you think. I want you to engage your heart. I want you to dig a little deeper so that we might know more what God's trying to reveal through the nature of Scripture. So, so here's the deal. Anybody who's been forgiven much will love God more. This is true. The problem is, and let me just put it to you this way, if you have two kids, and two kids are standing in front of a skunk, one is three feet behind the skunk, uh, three feet behind the other, and they both get sprayed by the skunk. How many of you know they both stink really bad? Technically, one might stink less, but it really does not matter. They stink really bad. Okay, that's what you need to understand as we read James chapter 2, verse 10. Whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in one point has become, say it with me, guilty of all. So technically, someone in the room is actually the best behaved person, uh, you know, of, of the, everybody in the room. Who is that? Like, I want to meet you. Best, most behaved person in the whole room? You know, I mean, technically, God would know that. Here's the problem. If you're the best behaved person in the whole room, then you kind of are the gooder, feeling like you're better than the badder people. And it's not true, because if you offend one point of the law, you're all the way guilty. The reason someone who's been forgiven greater can love God more, and the reason somebody who's so sinful can actually love God more is not because they were more sinful than everybody else. It's just that they were more in touch with the fact that we're all completely sinful without Jesus. We need Jesus. We're desperate for Jesus. You're desperate for Jesus. See, the amazing thing, our worship team can go ahead and make their way up. The amazing thing, is that whenever you step into that place, and, and, and clearly there is a posture and a place in our lives that we come to what would, some would call the age of accountability. And there's scriptural basis for this. When you come to that place, and you suddenly have your sin nature awakened, whatever age that is, not a magical age, but the book of Romans clearly talks about when sin sprang, sprang to life and I died. There's a place in everyone's life. They come to that place. Here's the thing. When that happens, you're all the way sinful. Now, we do things like go to church regularly so we can feel better about how God feels about us. We do things like read our Bible regularly so we can feel better about how God feels about us. We do things like go to the giving station and give money so that we can feel better about how God feels about us. And like, as a church leader, it's fairly uncommon for me to stand up and tell congregation that I want to come to church that it's not going to make God feel any better about you. Because like church leaders use that kind of stuff to manipulate people into being here. And that's the religious order that has to be conquered because it's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a religious lie. It's a religious lie. We never gather as the church to feel better about how God might feel about us. We gather as the church to honor the Lord, to worship our God, 
to conquer giants, to move mountains, because we're better together. Something about gathering together releases God's kingdom in a greater capacity in the earth. Not one of you in this room is better than anybody. Not one of you in this room is worse than anybody. We're all the same. We're desperately, desperately, absolutely lost, hopeless, sinful without Jesus. Kind of solves the whole issue, doesn't it? Looking down on anybody? See, Adam sinned and became a slave to sin. You, you need to understand this. Adam sinned and became a slave to sin. You know what Joseph lost when they sold him into slavery? When you read that story in Scripture, like, he was an incredible heir. He had so much to gain in his own life, but he didn't just lose his own life when he was sold into slavery. He lost his entire legacy because a slave gives birth to children who remain slaves, and it becomes the legacy of that person's life. So it was really a miracle that God drew him out and gave him everything back, and God can draw us out and give us everything back. Come on. But if you understand that picture, you understand because Adam sinned, because Adam sinned and became enslaved to sin, all of Adam's descendants are born into slavery to sin. All the way sinful. We really need Jesus. Regardless of your behavior, you really need Jesus. Regardless of your good, you really need Jesus. Regardless of your bad, you really need Jesus. You know what it all boils down to? Luke says it so clearly. Jesus came as the Son of Man to identify with us, to rescue us from slavery of sin. The bondage. Because he came, we're alive. Last blank. Jesus alone. Jesus alone. Not good behavior. Jesus alone moves us from the grip of guilt to the grip of grace. Why don't you stand and let's just say that together. Just stand to our feet. We honor you, Lord. Jesus alone. Jesus alone. Let's say it together. We'll, we'll say it uh, us, we. Jesus alone moves us from the grip of guilt to the grip of grace. Isn't that beautiful? Let's, let's say it again. Jesus alone moves us from the grip of guilt to the grip of grace. We love you, Lord. Lord, I just, I just want to stand before our church family today and admit that none of us have this all figured out. We're all on a journey trying to find our way. And we for sure don't want to try and make people religious. Lord, we want to be authentic. We want to have a relationship with you. Jesus' name. Just with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, a very important question that, that every one of us needs to wrestle with in the course of our lives. Are you living your life in that posture of having been enslaved to sin as a part of the legacy of Adam? Or have you come to know Christ where you've decided to follow Christ and he's rescued you out of that? Is there a time you know that you've prayed to follow Christ? You've decided Jesus is my Savior and I accept Jesus. If, if you've not prayed that, just slip up your hand. I want to pray with you today. Anybody at all? Today is a day. Today is a day to make a decision and determination. I want to follow Jesus. Anybody at all in this room? 
Lord, we thank you that you are a faithful, faithful God, a loving Father, a wonderful Savior. We embrace you today. We declare your kingdom come, your will be done. We thank you, Jesus, that you came, you lived, you died, you're alive. You're the Savior of the world. Most importantly, Lord, we acknowledge individually today you're our Savior. Be Lord of our lives. Teach us to live in a way that brings glory and honor to you and dignity into the lives of others. And if you agree with that, say amen. Amen and amen and amen.